Hi, I'm Nell McShane Wolfhart. I've spent over a decade helping people make big choices and improve their lives in the process. In my new Audible original, The Decision Coach, you'll get a front row seat to real-time decision-making. I coach people through the toughest choices they're facing, showing them how to get unstuck and move forward. Each session is filled with plenty of actionable, useful tips to help you get better at making decisions in your own life. Go to audible.com forward slash decisions to binge all six episodes and find more inspiring listens by signing up for a free trial. Again, that's audible.com forward slash decisions. One afternoon, a few years ago, Annabelle was at her home in England. She was catching up on some news, clicking around online, when she saw a headline that gave her a sudden shock. And I always used to, like, look at any articles about breast augmentations or things like that. I always used to read them, find them interesting. And I saw this, you know, six women have died from cancer due to breast implants or something along those lines. The article said that her breast implants, the ones she'd had for more than 20 years, had been linked to cancer. At first, I almost disregarded it because, you know, you hear all these stories about women are dying because of their breast implants and breast implant illness. And it's something that I kind of had decided that, okay, maybe there is a very, very tiny risk that that you could have a bad reaction to to having implants in your body. But that's something I had accepted. And I kind of almost dismissed it because I was like, oh, it's just another one of these stories, another scare tactic. But this wasn't clickbait. Under the headline, there was something like, you know, worldwide withdrawal of implants requested by the FDA. And I thought, as soon as I saw that, I thought, right, okay, this is more serious. Annabelle was worried. And since then, for the past four years, she's kept worrying, reading headlines and clicking on every article about these implants. Now 33 women have died, so it's gone from six to 33. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, this has happened since they knew about it. So why are these women still dying? Now, Annabelle has a big decision to make. Based on this news, what should she do about her implants? That's what we're going to figure out today. I'm Nell McShane Wolfhart, professional decision maker, and this is The Decision Coach. Medical decisions are some of the hardest decisions we make, and Annabelle has a few options here. She can keep the breast implants she has, She can remove them and go back to living with her natural breasts. Or she can replace her implants with new ones that have been certified as safe. But before we get into any of that, I wanted to know, how did Annabelle get here in the first place? I kind of started my journey when I was about 15, and I first saw Pamela Anderson on Baywatch. And I realized that you could have breast implants. That was the first time I really found out about breast implants. As a teenager, Annabelle was obsessed with the idea that she needed bigger breasts. They would make her more popular, happier, less bullied. And my sister was small-breasted and my mum was small-breasted and I knew that I was never going to get big beeps. It just, it it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen for me naturally. Plenty of teenagers dream about this. They stuff their bras or invest in the latest push-up technology from Victoria's Secret. But for Annabelle, the desire to change her body was really intense. She describes it as a form of body dysmorphia, a mental fixation around wanting to look a certain way. 
it's almost like everything revolves around it and it's it's not a vanity thing it's it's that you just don't feel like you've got brain space and I don't know how else to describe it because it just consumes your thoughts to the degree where it is difficult to to think about anything else so she decided to do something about it when she was 18 she got a job serving drinks in a pub and saved every penny probably worked about 60 hours a week and I was like full on like getting tips out of people and I'd, I had a boob jar like I would say to people like you know help me buy help me buy my boobs <laughs> she felt like she couldn't really move on with her life until she'd had the augmentation it became the thing she was working towards the overarching goal of everything she did and she made it she saved up the money she found an excellent doctor and she had the surgery. All my friends and, and, you know, my partner at the time, family and whatever, they were all like, wow, they're amazing. They, they look amazing. But they just didn't feel big enough. And then it was almost like chasing that kind of, I want them to feel big enough for me because then I'll be OK. So she had a second augmentation about nine months after the first. And then again, I remember like, looking at them and, and it was almost like when you get really bad news and you get that sinking feeling in your stomach and you feel a bit sick. I got that feeling because I was like, still not big enough, they're still not what I want. Annabelle was determined to get the look she wanted. She had a third augmentation. And this time, when she woke up after the surgery, things felt different. I remember getting out of bed and standing in front of the mirror and I remember just feeling like this amazing sense of peace because I just was like, finally, they're exactly how I want them. The exact size I want, the exact shape I want, they're 100% perfect. I, I can't, couldn't ask for anything more. And it was almost like this huge weight lifted off my shoulders and I was able to be like, right, okay, now I can move on. Now I can concentrate on other things that I might need to work on. This surgery had genuinely changed her whole outlook on life. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, that it's the solution for everyone, but for me it did. Once once I felt happy with, with my breasts, I did feel like I was able to kind of, you know, work on self-acceptance and self-love and all these, these things. And her life really was better. Until that day in 2019, when she read that the exact brand of implants she had were being linked to a rare form of blood cancer. No surgery is without risk, and no implants are 100% safe. But Annabelle had made sure to get implants that were as good as it got. So they were considered the very best of the best, the safest implants that you could have. You know, they're gummy bear implants, so they can't leak. You know, if you cut them, it's like kind of cutting a gummy bear. They don't leak because they're, they're solid. Annabelle's implants are made by Allergan, the company behind Botox. But despite Allergan's safety claims, some women who had these gummy bear implants were developing something called breast implant-associated lymphoma. This isn't breast cancer. This is uh, a cancer of the blood. And what happens is it first originates in the scar tissue in the capsule around your implants and that's where it stays for a while but after a while it, it it then can spread throughout the rest of the body there are still a lot of unknowns about this cancer 
You can get it even if you don't have these implants. So what they're now thinking is how many women were just diagnosed with this lymphatic cancer and they never linked it to their implants because they didn't know there was a link. And the more time Annabelle spent looking for answers, the less clear things became. And when you look at the bigger picture and you think 33 women have died, but probably millions of women have these implants, you know. So it is still statistically that the risks are still very low, but in the back of my mind, it's always like, well, how much can I trust these statistics? Because they are changing and opinion is changing. She went back to her doctor and asked what he thought. He, by the way, had been one of the people who developed these implants. That fact has both advantages and disadvantages for Annabelle. On one hand, he's probably going to have some kind of bias, even an unconscious one, towards the implants being essentially safe and worth keeping. On the other, he could know better than anyone else exactly how safe they were. When Annabelle asked him if she should have the implants removed, he said no. The risks of developing this cancer were so low that he wouldn't recommend removal. Replacing the implants with another surgery would actually be riskier. But Annabelle is someone who thinks about things a lot. Once a particular worry gets into her head, it can be really hard to let it go. When I'm like, you know, making a cup of tea or doing something a bit more mundane that doesn't take up my brain space as such, that's when it will pop into my mind. Right. I mean, that's quite a lot of time, isn't it? Like just the time English people spend making cups of tea alone is <laughs> considerable. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Uh, I probably have four or five cups of tea a day. Right. Okay. So that's like at least four or five times a day that you're sort of reconsidering this, this particular decision. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. Like many of the decisions people bring to me, this one seemed simple on paper. The implants might carry serious risks, and Annabelle was super worried. Just have them removed, right? I asked Annabelle how she felt about this. It would take a lot for me to want to go for that option. Annabelle is in her mid-40s, and she's had breast implants for most of her adult life. So she's concerned about how she might feel without any surgical augmentation. My breasts are part of my identity, and... If I didn't have them, I think it would affect my self-confidence. I just can't imagine being flat-chested because I was so unhappy. I really was extremely unhappy and, and extremely fixated on my body when I was flat-chested. Um, so, yes, I worry it would trigger my body dysmorphia again and just trigger a lot of other things that I feel I've overcome. Annabelle could also have her implants removed and replaced with new ones that don't have any reported link to cancer. But this choice doesn't come with any guarantees either. Annabelle has already gone under the knife three times to get the exact look she wanted. Now she's worried that new implants will make her look different and how that might impact her mental health. It's a very difficult decision for me because I don't know how I'll be affected if I'm not happy with them once they've been replaced. So yeah, that's why it's such a big decision for me. Medical decisions are something everyone has to make at one point or another, and it can feel impossible to know what to do, which is why Annabelle has been stuck for four years. So I decided to ask a doctor for their professional perspective on medical decision making. 
Lee Simmons is a primary care physician and medical director of the Mass General Hospital Decision Sciences Center. First, I got her opinion on Annabelle's situation. You could see a situation where Annabelle sees a physician who says, you should just have the implants out. That'll greatly reduce your risk of a problem. But that doctor wouldn't be operating with the information of how important these implants had been for her. I asked Lee for her best strategies for making medical decisions, where the stakes are incredibly high and we might not feel well or quite like our regular selves. Lee says to remember that you are the one making the final decision. One of the most worrisome phrases we hear is, whatever you say, doc, it's up to you. You're the doctor. Oh, that concerns me. Um, And I even joke and I say, oh, no, 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 no. You're the one who's going to have to do the hard work here. This is a great reminder to inform your doctor about how you're feeling and to bring up any concerns you have, even if they don't seem medically relevant. It doesn't have to be on the chart to be important. And if you're wrestling with a complex medical decision, Lee has another piece of advice. Write it down. Think about what is making it hard. Writing that kind of thing out. Why am I struggling with this? Is it because it's actually a very hard decision? Is it because I'm thinking about other things in my life I'll have to adjust if I want to have this operation or start this treatment? Am I feeling like I can trust my team? And if not, how can I make it a trusting team or do I need to change? Lee recommends one worksheet in particular, a short guide to making medical choices. It's freely available. Go to Google, go to any search engine and Google Ottawa Personal Decision Guide. And there you will see this two-page tool that does a beautiful job of framing the decision the reasons behind the decision. Ideally, you'd use the guide with a health coach and work through each part together. First, making sure you have all the information about the risks and benefits of each option, then laying out your values, a decision coach favorite, and finally, establishing how certain you feel about your choice. Remember, it's your decision. You may want to talk to friends and family as you work through it, But Lee says you should take their experience with a grain of salt. You may get unsolicited advice about terrible complications that someone's cousin had or things that they've heard of could happen that may or may not relate to your own situation. So while I would say there's no necessary need to keep everything completely private and certainly seek out input from people who who know you well and could help you make your decision, Recognize that you may hear a broader range of negative experiences than all the neutral or positive experiences that are really out there. The scariest stories are definitely the ones that stick in my brain. Lee had a few other practical suggestions. If the science around your condition is changing fast, make sure to have regular check-ins with your doctors and ask them about it. You could even set a Google alert to stay on top of new studies or strategies as they emerge. I always imagine, you know, when patients end up in the doctor's office and they say, but I read this and I Googled that and, you know, WebMD says the other thing, that the doctor is sitting there on the other side of the desk being like, shut up, I went to med school. But it is really reassuring to hear that, like, you you think it's a good thing for patients to participate in that decision-making process. You know, it's a 
common misconception that doctors are frustrated by patients, quote, doing their own research. I'm always pleased, actually, when my patients have started to look into what's worrying them or bothering them. And I ask, is there something you've read about or heard about that you want to make sure we talk about? Doctors are not psychic. They will not know exactly what matters most to you. And a doctor who's trained in how to elicit your preferences as a patient will be able to use some strategies to get that out. But you're also going to need to bring your own thoughts and opinions and concerns to the table so that when you and your doctor make a decision together, it's with the highest quality information possible. Twenty years ago, Annabelle got breast implants so she could see herself in the mirror the way she wanted to. It was all about self-actualization. But today, there are more people impacting her decision-making. She has a son and a husband, and she wants to be around for them as long as she can, which has changed how she thinks about even relatively small health risks. I feel like some guilt, like it's almost selfish not to do anything because there's so many other people that will be affected if I did get this cancer. Getting her implants swapped out for new ones isn't a walk in the park but it's something she's willing to do if we decide on a replacement. Is that a very difficult surgery? Is Does it take a long time to recover from? Is it very painful? Like, how much of a procedure are we talking here, the, the replacement part? If you have a skilled plastic surgeon like I had, it is a relatively simple procedure, and it's not particularly painful. I recovered very quickly each time, was back to normal within a couple of weeks. Annabelle also told me this isn't her first cancer scare. So I had ovarian cysts and I had, they call like a high... A couple of years ago, Annabelle found out she was at increased risk for ovarian cancer. Her doctor recommended that she have surgery to remove her ovaries, which she did. But she also took another step that not everybody in her position would take she decided to get a total hysterectomy, a surgery that removed her entire uterus. Obviously, I could have just had the ovaries removed, but I felt like, well, I can eliminate womb cancer, I can eliminate cervical cancer all in one go. So, you know, let's just eliminate as much as we can. And were you happy with that decision? Did it feel like the right decision? Yes, absolutely, 100%. So Annabelle is used to taking big action, which is important because she has big goals. She wants to own her own home and help her son buy a house and be able to go on plenty of vacations without money worries. She also wants to keep her day job while building her side business. That's something she started developing after she heard about the cancer risk. She found it so hard to sift through all the information about the safety of implants and the latest news that she started her own website, developing it as a resource for anyone looking for clear information on this kind of surgery. Her goal is to have the site generate income and build her reputation as a thought leader in cosmetic surgery information. I also asked Annabelle to make a list of her values. She said being healthy, staying in close touch with her family, and recognition for her work. She also included the freedom to look how she wants to look. But my question is, if you decide to keep your implants, are you ever going to be able to relax? Probably not, no. Okay. Because when we looked at your list of values, you put health at the very top. 
And I think that is like super important, super revealing. And again, we're not just talking about physical health. We're also talking about mental health. We're talking about, you know, the ability to just have a cup of tea and just think about the tea. Yes. <laughs> or just think about the television show you watched last night and, you know, not be like, oh, gosh, how do I feel today? Am I OK? Should I go get this thing checked? That constant worry can just eat away and eat away and eat away at your life. And when I, when I look at the future that you have sketched out for yourself, like, I love this future, but I am worried that if you do not replace your implants, that this worry, this constant concern is going to get in your way. So am I. Over time, I've realized that the worry of it is taking up brain space that I could use more effectively for for achieving the things I want in the future. So yes, you hit the nail on the head. This is a common factor when it comes to decision-making. Every client that comes to me has been giving a particular decision a lot of time and mental energy, usually way too much. And when it became clear that Annabelle had been worrying about the possibility of this cancer since 2019, it also became clear that saying, do nothing and just don't worry about it, was a totally pointless endeavor. She had to do something. She's worked with a therapist to address her anxiety, but she needed to make a decision now. One big data point for me about Annabelle was that she'd had an optional hysterectomy in the past. She was a person for whom even the possibility of illness and risk was incredibly uncomfortable. And she'd already had a major surgery to alleviate that worry. And to me, I see a very clear parallel here where you have an opportunity to replace your implants and to eliminate this particular worry that has been occupying your brain, your free time and and your sleep and, and your shower time. And I think you should take it. Okay, I think you're right. <laughs> I actually think that yes, um, it 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 will be it would be worth the risks of the actual surgery to replace them, um, and even if they don't look exactly how I want them to, I almost feel like I w- that won't impact me anymore because that was part of my body dysmorphia was wanting them to look this exact way. And it's almost like, I feel like I've got over that. You know what I want to do now before you go? Hmm. I want to go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love that. That is what I want to hear at the end of every single session. Absolutely fabulous. This episode was about Annabelle and her decision, but I learned a lot myself from helping her work through it. Before I met Annabelle, I typically deferred all medical decision-making to my doctor. I'm normally a fan of delegating decisions to the experts. If there's a professional in the room, let them decide so you don't have to. They have more information, after all. But speaking with Annabelle and then with Lee, made me realize that medical decisions should be approached like all other decisions, with thoughtfulness and research. Expert input can be a part of the decision-making process, but it's not the whole process. Going forward, I'll be spending more time thinking about how my medical choices will affect all parts of my life. It's been a few months since my session with Annabelle, and we've kept in touch. 
She's had a lot going on in her personal life, but she let us know that she's still feeling good about this decision. Her surgery is scheduled for a couple of months out. I can't wait to hear how she feels afterwards. Next time on The Decision Coach. I prayed. Like, I prayed on and off. I'm like, God, like, I want a sister so bad. Like, every time my mom would get pregnant with another kid, I'm like, please let it be a girl. And it was never a girl. And I was like, please, like, please give me a sister. Chelsea's wish for a sister finally comes true. Just not in the way that anyone expected. That's next. Next. 